1: Thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. I want you to think about this. You know, in America, we refer to our highest officials as honorable. An example.
2: The Honorable Ron Johnson, a senator from the state of Wisconsin. The Honorable Mitch McConnell, a senator from the
3: Commonwealth of Kentucky. The Honorable Rand Paul, a senator from the Commonwealth of Kentucky.
1: I picked those three cats for a reason, and I'll get to it in a second. But this matters. Okay, all over the world, this term is used. They spell it differently, but it's the same word. Okay, different languages, same meaning. Very specific choices of who gets called honorable. It is precious and prized. I remember as a kid asking my mom why Pop's mail said honorable on it, or H-O-N, period. She said, because Pop works very hard helping people, so people respect and look up to him. I was swelled with pride about that. Is it still true? Is it honorable to ignore the pandemic? They did. Is it honorable to now spend time doing this, where that roll call came from? The Senate Homeland Security Committee holding a hearing about irregularities during the election that Johnson and the other Retrumplicans know amount to nothing. How do we know? Johnson said as much. So why do it? I
4: don't see anything dangerous about evaluating information, about doing legitimate congressional oversight. Nothing dangerous about that whatsoever.
1: I mean, did you mean to have that trace of irony in what you were saying? If you're confident enough, Senator Johnson, why don't you give me the honor of you coming on this show and explain to me what you learned from your hearing and what made it worthwhile and what you know about the election that warrants what you just did? How is asking questions about whether the election was rigged when you've said it wasn't significantly not dangerous? Doing it on TV would be dangerous, let alone in a congressional hearing. And remember, these hearings are planned. They know what's going to be offered largely. There are no real surprises. So he knew nothing was going to come up that would change the results. Is that honorable? Is this honorable? The fraud happened. The election in many ways was stolen. In many ways was stolen, but none that you can articulate with any proof. Anything beyond the logic that's as twisted as your hair. And while they do this, what are they not doing? No hearing about Russia's suspected hacking of our Homeland Security Department. You know, that's the committee that is, the Homeland Security Committee. Russia reportedly, according to intel sources, hacked that agency and other federal agencies like never before. Is it honorable to avoid that in lieu of something you know the answer to already? Is that worthy of respect? And of course, they're merely seconding the efforts of the most honorable, Mitch McConnell. McConnell holding up relief for months until companies getting a pass from sick workers was made as much an emergency as hungry kids christmas is nine damnable days away where is your honor how can we call you honorable when we now know the reason you're making a deal right now if it happens after months is not because of your recognition of the needy but of your political needs my proof CNN has learned on a call with other retrumplicans, McConnell said, time to make a deal. No relief is hurting our candidates in the Georgia Senate runoff because that's the right reason to do it, right? No honor and they know it. Isn't that sad? Not only did they stall relief for no reason, but they did it for bad reason. And in fact, they may well have had bad intentions all along. What's my proof? We now know a former top Trump appointee repeatedly urged other top health officials to adopt a herd immunity strategy. That would mean intentionally allowing millions to be sickened by COVID. Here's a full screen quote, put it up. Infants, kids, teens, young people, young adults, middle-aged with no conditions, etc., have zeroed a little risk. So we use them to develop herd immunity. We want them infected. Really? Because none of them died, right? They didn't get sick in a horrible way. There are no long lasting, long haul effects just all over this country in ways we're just barely starting to understand. But here's the troubling, or troubling, here's the more troubling aspect. If that's what they wanted, is that the reason behind what they did? ignoring the reality of the pandemic telling you it wasn't real mocking masks telling people to come together holding the rallies it's the stuff of a horror film did trump and co really sabotage safety because they wanted people sick it's not me saying it it's one of theirs boy it sure does explain the reaction that trump had do you remember the shockingly cold reaction he had to the new death toll at the time. Remember this? A thousand Americans are dying a day. They are dying. That's true. And you ha- it is what it is. You know, at the time, I was like, he's going to correct that, right? Why would he? Why, why? He didn't want to have empathy. He wasn't just incompetent. He was OK with letting people die in some kind of Darwinian perversion. It is what it is, meaning it's part of a means to an end. People die. Others won't. Not going to be me. Is that why the Honorable Mike Pence wrote in June that there isn't a second wave, that we're far better off than the media reported? He knew he had to know it was B.S. at the time. Just because you have a straight face doesn't mean that you're telling it straight. And he wasn't. But why was he actually baiting you to be part of a bad result? Did he really want you to get sick? We know he was wrong. Everybody knows it was wrong. But was it intentional? The exponential growth he denied more than 306,000 precious lives. They deserve honor. And yet after doing all of these dishonorable things, the real proof of their perfidy is that with knowledge of how badly they served or disserved, they celebrate.
5: Allow me to give you the opportunity to thank the most pro-life president in American history. In this
1: administration, it's always been about life. And that's been evident in the last year
0: as our nation has passed through this challenging time of a global pandemic. An administration that has counted the lives of every one of our citizens precious and important.
1: Life is winning is the banner behind him. He talks about the pandemic, doesn't talk about the lives lost. How is life winning when we've lost more lives to this medical crisis than at any other point in modern history? What the hell are you talking about? Where is your honor? Every life counts until they're born, sick, hungry, then you lie about it and say maybe it's better if they get sick. That's what your old guy is saying. You actually want us to believe that you care about life when you do nothing to sustain it? Remember, to the last moment, Trump and co were telling you the pandemic wasn't real. Listen. COVID, 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 COVID. COVID. By the way, on November 4th, you won't hear about it anymore. I'm not angry. I'm not even outraged. I don't like that the information and reporting has confirmed My and many and your worst suspicions of the lack of honor that is motivating all of this. The lack of empathy, the lack of humanity, the stories that I have heard, the people whose lives have been ruined. And your response out there in Trump land is, well, you shouldn't have let us have to stay home. It's the only thing that saved you. And they knew it. And wanted you to get sick, they had a different strategy. Your dear leaders, those you honor, they wanted you to get sick. They lied to you about the reality. They told you it would go away when they knew it wouldn't. It's worse than ever. This isn't wrong. This is a lack of honor, and it hurts. So many are gone, so many lives. Are forever changed, and for what? Some seats, some sense of satisfaction in having people divided so you can count on a certain number of votes. There is no honor in this, there is no victory. And now we learn that Trump may finish by doing the last possible thing that he could to make this even worse. Let's bring in the better minds to analyze the state of play, Dana Bash and David Gregory. Dana, have you heard this notion, which is hopefully just frenzied thinking, that Trump muses about maybe not leaving on January 20th? What would happen if I didn't? Do you buy that that's actually being bandied about?
6: Sure. I buy that it's something that is being bandied about, whether or not it is something that we would see come to fruition is a different question um, look, this has been the fear of a, a lot of the president's opponents and frankly even some of his supporters uh, for for some time uh, that if if and when he lost that he would not leave would not leave willingly. but look, this is I think musing was the right word that you just used, Chris I mean this is kind of typical I mean this is a man who is, clearly nowhere near coming to terms with, nor will he ever come to terms with the fact that he lost. And the parts of the hearing today that you played, the people who are still following him and singing from his complete fantasy song sheet uh, is proof of that.
1: Boy, David, they were strong and wrong today in that hearing. And we know how hearings work. It's not like they're shocked by what's presented in the hearing. You know, this isn't some aha moment for a jury. For Ron Johnson to say there's nothing wrong with us looking into questions when he knows the answers to them are not going to be something that are substantial and significant. What's the play?
7: Well, I mean, I don't want to sound too cynical, but I mean, I do think some of the outrage around all of this assumes that this is all on the level. I mean, it's not. And there's a lot of theater in politics. It's not the first time we've seen it. And these Republicans who are, as as Dana says, playing off this song sheet are going to ride this into exile with former President Trump, who's not going away. He knows it's not on the level. And I think a lot of this is part of a political game for him. It's it's a kind of uh, showmanship of uh, demagoguery, tapping into grievance. It's dangerous. We've said it. We know it. We've lived it. But it's, but it's what he does and what his political future looks like. We don't know. We've speculated about it. But he's going to have some impact over how Republicans think
1: because they're too afraid to be independent of that at this mm-hmm. point. McConnell is supposedly saying, hey, this no relief thing is starting to hurt us in Georgia. Let's get a deal done. Is there motivation right now? And is it true that uh, the Democrats are going to give something on corporate liability and there may be checks for individuals somewhere around $1,200 a family?
6: Uh, We don't know if they're going to give, uh, if the Democrats are going to give on liability. It will have to be very, very narrow based on the conversations that I've I've had, and I'm sure you both have had as well with Democrats, uh, that liability it is, at least the way it has been written, it is a red line because they feel that there's no reason to put these protections in place. Having said that, even some of the Republicans who are eager for a solution. Mitt Romney, for example, who I interviewed yesterday, who, by the way, is on that Ron Johnson committee who said there was no way he was stepping foot in that hearing room because he thought it was um, unproductive in his diplomatic terms. But uh, but even Republicans like him think that there is room for a place uh, it legislatively to put some uh, liability protections in so that uh, when companies want to go back Uh, And open up. They and even, as he said, universities. They don't feel that they have to be worried about uh, about a suit. We'll Mm. see, though. I mean, that and money to states and to. Uh, local governments. That has been the sticking point for months, right. and it continues to be.
1: So, David, let me put up the particulars. Uh, do me a favor. Throw up the full screen of what we think the deal is right now. We're having it as stimulus checks at six hundred to an individual. I heard it might be twelve hundred for the family. Uh, find mm-hmm. the graphic. It's on the sheet. Put it up so people can see, or I have to read all the numbers. Um, the idea, David, of this being the deal: uh, six hundred to twelve hundred dollars for a um, family, no money for state and local aid, which is necessary for the vaccine distribution, that maybe they won't have lawsuit protection this time. Um, Additional $300 a week in jobless benefits, $330 billion for small business loans. Uh, Everyone's unhappy with these amounts, but is that the nature of compromise in this instance or is it just too little?
7: Well, I think it's a little complicated here because you got to do something before the holidays, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the, the impact of the pandemic as we get into the winter, and it's so severe, right? We got a, we got a, you know, a stock market at record highs, and then you've got record despair. Mm-hmm. But if you're the Biden administration and waiting, you're thinking, how many bites of the apple do I have? And so Democrats who are, who are representing him at the moment have to be thinking about that as well, because do they come back after the first of the year in a new Congress and try for a bigger deal I don't think we can overstate the importance of this runoff in Georgia. We all know that. But in terms of the calculation of Republicans getting a shorter term deal and how, how the world can change uh, because of Georgia and, and a bigger deal that you could get down the line.
1: Biden should do two ways with every state that is hard hit and the governor of those states saying, hey, they're telling me uh, your representatives here you don't need anything. Can I take you? You take a pass or you want more relief? He should do that in every state that matters and let those constituents Go ahead, last word. That's and just I an jump. important
7: point about the virus in general. The, the, the opportunity here for Biden to work with the state, some of what you were talking about as you opened the program about the states kind of going their own way. It wasn't just the Trump administration. That has to be shored up. You've got, got to it. have a uniform approach.
1: We're talking about that later in the show, specific to the vaccine. vaccine. Dana, thank you so much. Uh, I hope you are both uh, having some solace in the festival of lights. I am Mishpukah, <laughs> my Jewish brothers and sisters. <laughs> be well. Nine days before Christmas. Uh, no deal yet. Maybe there's going to be one, but damn, it took too long, and it is too little Millions of Americans are hungry. They're in poverty. Everything is getting worse. Now, that includes what's happening in the hospitals. And we have to keep our eye there, because if that breaks, if those people, with their Atlas efforts, if they break, we're done. Are we taking care of them? No. I want to bring in a big shot senator, a truly honorable senator, working hard to rectify that. And we have somebody here who lived the pain of the need of the people who are keeping us alive. Something that really should be in the bill. And I look forward to this advocacy next. The relief bill. Is it going to happen in time for people to get the money for Christmas? Is there something dirty about the timing? And is something really importantly, certainly more important than largely non-existent lawsuit protection being left out. Senator Tim Kaine here is, uh, is here to help answer those questions. And a very special guest is with him, Jennifer Feist. Now, I know Jennifer Feist because I introduced you to her sister, Dr. Lorna Breen. She represented everything excellent about being a healer. By all accounts, she was a star. Personally, as a friend, as a family member, as an athlete, and of course, as a clinician. She was in the trenches of a New York City ER, keeping people alive in a pandemic. Grueling hours, surrounded by death, while recovering herself from COVID, and like so many of our first responders, unsupported. Out of nowhere, the anxiety, the stress, the toll took her. She was gone by suicide in April. Made no sense because we're not prepared for it. We're not prepared to help the people who are strong in a moment's notice. And so Lorna Breen's family And a bunch of friends and like-minded individuals are fighting today to get protection for other first responders. And we will discuss that. And Jennifer, thank you for being with us today. And Senator, thank you for fighting uh, for this cause. Uh, Let's work our way to what will happen with it. One, do you believe you get a bill? Is there any way that you could get this done in a way that any families would get money for Christmas?
2: Chris, I I think we're going to. I I started to feel confident maybe just in the last day or so that we're going to get a bill that will help the unemployed, uh, that will help families, help small businesses, put money into the vaccination program, and likely now in the last 24 hours or so, uh, provide uh, stimulus checks to low and moderate income people at a time when they desperately, desperately need it.
1: In time for Christmas, or no, that's too fast to process it
2: well, I, th- I think we're going to likely pass the bill by Friday, so December 18th the the process of getting the checks out will be a challenge, but the good news is millions of people were going to lose unemployment benefits right. the day after Christmas right. that's not going to happen. and folks who are you know at the very very edge facing eviction at the end of the month or food insecure will know that help is on the way and I think we'll do that by Friday.
1: I'm making an executive decision. Forget about the timing. If it happens, it happens. Jennifer, um, what did you learn when you took something that is a no-brainer of an idea, uh, as your sister was heralded as a hero and that we have to help people like her, when you tried to get that into a fix in Congress? What did you learn?
3: Uh, Interesting question, Chris. Um, I actually have, first of all, let me say thank you for having us. I have a degree in political science and I'm a lawyer and I learned that uh, laws don't work the way that I thought they did. It's, it's certainly a lot of work. We are so incredibly grateful to Senator Kane for supporting this, for proposing this legislation um, from Virginia and uh, we've gotten just a ton of bipartisan support for this bill because we believe that pr- uh, providing support to our healthcare providers is our duty just as they have supported us through this pandemic. It's been crushing to this community. They need our support. They need our, you know, our belief. And um, they need it now.
1: Hmm. And, you know, now, as you're digging into it, um, that is actually a community. uh, The doctors and staff, they are prone to neglecting their own mental health uh, more than other groups because they're so focused and they suffer from the stigma. Uh, that, well, you can't be a great healer and strong enough to help everybody else if you have a problem yourself. So what would this do and why must it happen?
3: Well, uh, we believe that it's just a great way to start. Um, these people are have been working in the front lines for nine months now, not just doctors, nurses, PAs, everybody, uh, all the healthcare providers on the front lines. This would uh, provide um Awareness campaigns, education, um, support for mental health. You know, we know that uh, physicians and nurses in particular are self reporting rates of burnout in excess of 50% right now. Uh, we hear from everybody, people every day, every day we hear from people on the front lines saying, you know, this is crushing, this is devastating. Uh, what we also know is studies have shown, and of course we learned this from the military, the real mental health uh toll and the real stress start to show, the cracks really start to show uh, when the crisis begins to end. So this is why we need it now.
1: What do you think, Senator? What's the chance it finds its way into the bill?
3: We're, we're fighting very, very hard to
2: get this in the bill. And, you know, Lorna Breen, just an amazing, amazing person who in the maelstrom of the first weeks of this unprecedented crisis in New York just said, all I want to do is help people. And I just, I don't think I can. I mean, she was just avalanched with the scale of suffering. You know, Chris, one thing I'll say that I've come to learn over the course of this is we casually say sincerely that our healthcare providers are heroes, but heroes tends to put people up on a pedestal a little bit and it may even make it harder. They are heroes, but I think healers might even be a more, honorific title than heroes. And we shouldn't put them on a pedestal where it's hard to seek help. So we're working very hard to get this bill connected to the end of the year COVID and appropriations bill. It will provide, you know, funding for training, best evidence searches to find the things that can help our healers stay safe, uh, a national commission to really look at these strategies and then put them out into the hospitals, medical schools, nursing programs all across the country. Um, Somebody used to tell me when when the thing is right, the time is right. And I just, I think in Lorna's honor and in the honor of all these people that we truly, truly are just in awe of right now, we need to do this so that we can keep them healthy and whole and healing and moving forward.
1: Is there anybody who is a significant block on this, or is it just the process?
2: You know, Chris, that's a great question. It's just the process. We've got bipartisan support by two lead co-sponsors, actually out of Rhode Island, Bill Cassidy, Republican doctor in Louisiana, Todd Young, Republican from Indiana. We've got the American Medical Association, American Hospital Association, emergency room physicians, a lot of the interest groups that have weighed in have weighed in because Jennifer and her husband Corey have done such a good job making the case. So it's sort of like when you're making sausage and you're trying to get everything in, uh, can you get it in at the last moment? Especially when normally you put bills in at year end that have been through committee processes. Committees haven't been meeting the way they have, you know, because of COVID. But I think this, if we're going to, focus on the going forward challenge. The the backward looking challenge has been grim and horrific, but we've got a going forward. challenge. And if we're going to focus on the going forward challenge, we need the Lorna Greens of this world to know that they've got support, that they can say, hey, I need some help. And they're not going to suffer by it or have their licensing privileges taken away, but they're going to have a group of people around them saying, great, we've got the support for you. And that's what this bill is about.
1: You know,
3: and Chris, go I ahead, can please, Jennifer.
1: Yes, last word to you.
3: Thank you, sorry, if I can add to that, this has been nine months, it's time for this nation to put a flag in the ground and say, we see you, we thank you, and now it's your turn to get the help that you need after helping all of us. Because It seems, it's
1: time. seems like every message we send is the opposite. And I'm so sorry for the loss of your family, but I'll tell you thank something. You. There are a few things that I've seen, and I'm sure the Senator would agree with this, that are as powerful in politics as when people put pain to purpose uh, and it becomes their passion. And I, am, and I am not objective about the need or the people who need it. And I am here for you uh, to fight this any step of the way, Jennifer Feist. Um, Senator Kane. thank you for being behind this. Uh, and Jennifer, I'm always a call away, you know that. God bless I you do. and the family. Thank you, Chris. All right, be well. So back to people who are beyond help. Trump is in the rearview mirror, but he's as vengeful as ever. And he wants payback, and he wants us angry, and he wants us at one another. He's saying things that he knows are not true and that he promised he would not say. Now he may start getting rid of people to put in special counsels. Was he stopped from firing another FBI director in an act of revenge? We're going to bring in a couple of former White House insiders for just a sense of the state of play within their party. Does it exist anymore? Will it? After this. Next. All right. Forget the intro. Let's bring in two men who have worked for this president and talk about the state of play. we got Anthony Scaramucci and we have Jim Schultz. Gentlemen, uh, thank you both. Uh, Schultz, let me start with you about uh, this idea of Trump trying to get rid of people to make things happen that he wants before he gets out. And they're not good things. I don't even know if they're legally sound. What are your concerns uh, as a legit Republican about Trump trying to get rid of the head of the FBI or move somebody else out of DOJ and bring in somebody who will appoint special counsels and the like?
4: Look, we have a real short window here left and, and uh, you know, within a month or so left. And there's no, no reason to be shuffling the decks at this point in time, both from a continuity of government perspective and making sure kind of the government runs correctly and a, and a, and a transition takes place that makes sense to to... to dismiss the FBI director. It, we've heard reports the White House counsel's office pushed back against that. If that's true, that's the right thing to do. They should be pushing it back against that. There's no reason to be letting the FBI director go at this point in time.
1: What's the message to the president if he wants to spend the rest of his time doing this, Jimmy?
4: I, I just, I say to the president, you know, it's time to start thinking about legacy. It's time to start thinking about what he can do between now and the end of the year in the Middle East and other places where he has pretty good stories to tell, and focus on that and less, less focus on personnel.
1: Yeah, and what the hell? You might as well do something about the pandemic uh, before you leave. The, that, that too. That'd he's nice. going Yeah, that, that too. too. So, I mean,
4: we, the, he's going to he's gonna have to sign a bill, but that's largely getting debated in Congress at this point. And they're moving along, they're moving along well, with, but,
1: you with know, All I'm saying facts. is, Jimmy, nobody was going to die if we did or didn't build a wall. And it was an obsession every day. He could throw that in until the end. Maybe it will change a couple of minds. Anthony, instead, a big reason that we're not seeing that kind of urgency is that nobody's telling him to have that kind of urgency. You saw that with Ron Johnson today. He gets all upset because he doesn't like people saying he's pushing propaganda. How are they wrong? What came out of that hearing today? That changed the feeling that there's nothing significant to investigate.
8: Listen, it's it's terrible, you know, and, and Jim knows this because we did work together briefly in the White House. Jim was a hockey goalie. He was taking shots on net of all this insanity and blocking them with great diplomacy. And so there's nobody like Jim left in the White House right now. And so. Uh, The president wants to transact. He wants to make money. He does not care about his legacy. He's told people privately, "What do I care about my legacy? I'll be dead. Uh, Why would I need or care about my legacy? And so he's looking at the next two, three weeks. How am I going to make money off this? How is this going to be good for me uh, post-presidency? Is there a chance I could still stay in the presidency? Apparently, Ron Johnson and, and Rand Paul think there was a lot of unproven fraud. So. Uh, you know, he's listening to those people, Chris. Uh, But trust me, this is all about a griff right now. And this is transactional from here until January 20th.
1: Right. I mean, look, uh, Jim, you know, you're a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. Anthony's a big shot from uh, Harvard and a lawyer. The we all know that there's no such thing as unproven fraud. Right. If you've got fraud, that means it's been proven. Uh, They don't have anything here. They've been thrown out of dozens of courts on the basis of this. When will there start to be some shame in the Republicans game about this?
4: Well, you would have thought after this last round of the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court just chose not even to hear the arguments on it because there wasn't any widespread fraud or any evidence of widespread fraud put before the court, that that would be somewhat of the end of this. I I think you're going to see, much like you saw after Hillary Clinton's loss, folks talking about you know the, the only reason the president won in 2016 was because he cheated, because he colluded with the Russians. And in fact, you had some folks, even at the time of the certification of the Electoral College, before Congress, which is gonna happen on January 6th, objecting, you know, members of Congress that were objecting to that based upon collusion and, and Russian interference and cheating on the part of the president. I think you're gonna see some of that from the Republicans at this point, but unless you have a senator and a Republican from each state making that argument, it's much ado about nothing.
1: Hmm. Um, Anthony, the reporting that came out today that McConnell was on a call with the caucus saying, listen, we've gotta get the relief done now, it's hurting us in Georgia. What does that make you think about as a, as a Republican?
8: Well, listen, you know, he's a he's cold, hard-calculating pragmatist. Uh, I think the Republican Party has lost its way. I think uh, Senator McConnell would say something different to that. I think he used President Trump, frankly. He transformed the judicial system at the federal level as a result of that use. And I think out of respect for President Trump, he was waiting for the electoral college certification, but he doesn't want any uh, funny business now uh, going into the Georgia you know runoff or the inauguration so the the big question for Senator McConnell is how does he feel about vice president president elect Joe Biden? Is he going to do the same thing to him that he did to President Obama and let 's hope not because the country needs relief, Chris. And we've got to get a deal done on a bipartisan
1: basis. The guy has given us no indication to believe that he will ever change what he is. Jimmy, last word to you. Look,
4: I I think it's one, very important that we get a deal done. Two, I think it's also very important that we move on past this election and get to Georgia. All eyes are on Georgia right now. I'm bullish about the Republican Party in the future here, but like some other folks. We won 15, 15 seats in Congress. Nancy Pelosi's going to have a five, five vote margin. That's it going into this election. I think we're looking pretty good going into 2022. And it's all eyes on Georgia. That's the most important thing right now.
1: I mean, look, you know, in likelihood, you may well win, but... You know, if you're going to use the power to deny relief for five, six months because they won't let you protect companies from a non-existent legal threat from sick employees. I mean, what's the use of the power? But we'll take it one step at a time. Let's see what happens with this relief and if they make good on it for whatever the reason. Anthony Scaramucci, Jimmy Schultz, thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. All right. We have vaccine news uh, tonight. America may have more doses available than we thought. Why? Well, because Pfizer may have not made a bad, like a bad mistake, but made a mistake in terms of being more potent than they even knew, meaning that the vaccine could be distributed um, in even smaller portions than they knew. Is that true? And what about this reporting that? The Trump administration was pushing people to push for herd immunity. Was that the reason behind all the ignoring of the pandemic and the messaging? Were they trying to get you sick? We're going to run it by the chief doctor, Sanjay Gupta, next. Senator Ted Cruz, the honorable from Texas. I guarantee after November 4th, they won't even be talking about COVID anymore. Trump, it'll be gone. It's never been worse. They lied to you to play to advantage. And now we have an even more sinister reason they may have been doing it. But here's the reality, okay? The big three daily coronavirus records all shattered again tonight deaths, cases, hospitalizations. They're not numbers, they're people, their families, their job displacement, their economic pain, their hunger, their sadness, their mental health, their anxiety. The need for the vaccine is so urgent, but we will never get to the place where the vaccine can help us if we're not doing the right things until then. We'll lose too many people. There are nearly three million doses of Pfizer's vaccine doled out this week. Where and to who? I don't know. We're trying to track it. You know, I, there are people who know, but they're just not being transparent. We'll get to that. It's only a sliver of what we need to cover just the first phase. The hope is that hospitals won't need to continue picking and choosing who gets it. When you pick winners and losers, it goes bad fast. As we await more doses, there are news tonight that some of the Pfizer vials may contain extra vaccine doses. Each vial usually contains five. Some pharmacists are finding they can get six, sometimes seven doses out of it, potentially expanding our supply by up to 40 percent. Let's discuss. Chief Dr. Sanjay Gupta. How's that happen?
5: Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, Chris. So they have these vials. They're supposed to have five doses. It's a frozen liquid that comes in. When they get to the, uh, to the uh, hospital, pharmacy, wherever it's going, uh, they, they thaw it. And at that point, they then take some of the liquid out, a set amount, and they dilute it with saline. And that's what's that's what you see in the syringes. That's what you see going into people's arms. That is the vaccine. What they're finding is that there's more of the solution in those vials uh, to make up more than five doses of the vaccine. So the FDA looked at this and they said, okay, based on the fact that it's a preservative free solution, that there does seem to be enough for an additional dose, sometimes two additional doses. Given that there's such high demand and such little supply, as you point out, Chris, uh, go ahead and do it if you can. Basically, that's the message that they're hearing. So you could potentially get an extra 20 percent. You know, if you have 100 million doses, maybe it ends up being closer to 120 million doses. We don't know. But right now, the message is uh, it, it looks like a good strategy to try and get as many doses as you can out of these bottles. If it's more than five, then go for it. All right. So now the
1: thing that's just killing me, breaking my heart, if it's true, and it sounds like it is is the reason that they were so quick to shut down pandemic messaging and be nonchalant about masks and encourage people to come together. Do you buy this information from this email that Congress got its hands on from the Trump administration, HHS official, that said, we want to do herd immunity? Um, The the young, the strong, you know, that's who we're going to use. We'll get them all sick. And we'll get herd immunity. We want them infected. Do you believe that they were sleeping on the messaging on purpose to do this? Would that explain why Pence would lie in June about the second wave not being real? While, you know, why Trump was nonchalant about death tolls? Because they wanted them to get us to herd immunity.
5: Uh, You know, it's interesting, Chris. I think there's no question there were people that were advocating for herd immunity. How, how sort of uh, strategic they were and how consistent the message was, I mean, it was scatter shock, you know, that, that's for sure. But I think there's no question that if you listen to what they say carefully, they were advocating for herd immunity. I looked at the emails. There was another line from it that said, so the bottom line is if it's more infectiousness now, the issue is who cares? That's from uh, a, uh, an official at HHS Scott Atlas, he was advocating for herd immunity, Chris. He would always say that he wasn't. It was maddening, actually, because he was. He, that's a, the exact things that he was saying wasn't ad, ad, advocating for herd immunity. And so he would say that. And then whenever asked, he says, well, I'm not advocating for it. I mean, it, there, there was just no way to, to really get at it but i think the idea of letting the infection run free which is you know what herd immunity is a terrible strategy we know that uh, right now there's officially 16 million or so people who've been infected the number's probably closer to 50 million right because we still don't have adequate testing 50 million people have been uh, infected 300,000 have died. The math is pretty simple here. You'd multiply that times seven, right? Mm-hmm. Seven times as many people. If they all got it, that means two million people would die. It's a terrible strategy. And yet I think that they were advocating for it. And you know, I know that people sort of are, are dancing around this because they've always... They've always denied that they were advocating for herd immunity. But what is it called, Chris, when all your policies, the, the, the kind of emails that you see from HHS, Scott Atlas, everything they say is let the infection run free, let people get exposed. That's herd immunity. That, I, so I think I think that was the strategy. It doesn't
1: make sense if you want to preserve life. It does make sense if you want to preserve time. And they wanted this to end as soon as possible to give them the best chance of winning again by having the economy recover. I know it's still a theory, but it's a lot more than axiomatic now with everything that we've learned. Sanjay Gupta, thank you very much. Appreciate you giving it to us straight.
5: You got it, buddy. All right. Talk to you soon.
1: All right. Now, this is good news. Squeezing extra doses out of the Pfizer vaccine. It's good. We need everyone. We don't have enough and we're not going to have enough for a long time. New tonight. The Iowa Department of Health says the state is not getting as much of the vaccine as it expected. They may be 30 percent short. On top of that, these warnings that Pfizer is running into supply issues for future shipments. Why are we doomed? No, this is going to be a hard road. There will be fits and starts. Challenges are just that. They're not automatic failure. They're opportunities. You'll either make something of them or not. Leadership, transparency, and the correction that is necessarily the fruit of accountability. We have to have them. We don't. And it's going to be a problem. In fact, it is. The Trump administration wants to say, it's not on us. You know, Pfizer, you know, we don't know what's going on with them. It is on them. And look, this isn't about pointing the finger at them. It's about pointing the way forward. We know Trump denied and therefore lied about access to 100 million more doses. They were offered to the government. They passed. As a result, we're now in a line that we could have led with Pfizer. Pfizer's got orders from all over the country, uh, all over the world rather. The supply chain is maxed out. Why? Raw materials are needed. Okay, so now what? what's the fix? The Defense Production Act could really help. Why isn't it being used? Ownership by leadership is a big reason that it's not being used. They didn't want to do this. And I think this herd immunity thing may really have been what was shaping their nonchalance. Just let them get sick. Let them die. It'll be over sooner. Now, also, Pfizer didn't take Operation Warp Speed money to develop their vaccine. Listen.
0: They are more secretive with us about their manufacturing capacities, their needs. So we can't know they have a raw material problem until they tell us they have a raw material problem.
9: So,
1: look, it's a leadership issue that you don't have contact with the players, but they weren't part of Operation Warp Speed, so they don't have the same kind of intimacy with it. But at the end of the day, it's about cash. Why? Pfizer, unlike, say, Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca, they plan to profit off this vaccine. I'm not criticizing that, but it's relevant. Some estimates are that they may make like 19 billion on it. That kind of money necessitates transparency, right? Because if you're going to be moving that kind of money to a company, we got to know where and for what, okay? And also, it takes money to make money. We have billions tied up right now in this pathetic parody play by McConnell, helping companies in lawsuits where you can't help hunger for months, Months of inaction, haggling over amounts that never concerned McConnell when he allowed a tax cut that helped the top more than the bottom and it wasn 't paid for but now in a pandemic he 's cost conscious. This is why we can only know with this vaccine what they show. We need to know how much they 're buying, for how much money, where is it going, and to whom and the reality is, and this is why we started this this segment, we are largely in the dark. And that is by design as much as by dint of not knowing how to do this collectively. The CDC today launched a dashboard for tracking what's been shipped. But this is basically just a proxy for FedEx and UPS trucks. You know what I mean? This is just their information. So it's really up to states to make sure that it gets to the people who need it in the right places in a fair distribution. But will they? That's why we have to stay on this, and we will. Let me take a break. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. It's time for the big show, CNN Tonight with the big star, D. Lemon.
9: big show. Right about that. Hey, I liked your honorable thing earlier. You know what? I I, I thought it was great. You know what I thought about? Nobody's moaning about being called the honorable or honorable But they're all, you know, saying that Joe Biden should not be called. She needs to get rid of that doctor title when they love being called honorable. Nobody said that. So, so much, so much hypocrisy going around. Sometimes they
1: don't even know it. They don't know that they're just pissed that it's a woman. You know, nobody said we shouldn't call Dr. Dr.
9: King, Dr. King anymore. I mean, you know what? what, what, They're not mad about that, are they? I don't even think it's mad. I just I, I just think that it's become so
1: reductive. Opposition in politics has become such currency. I mean, this stuff I learned today, I almost cried on the show tonight. Why? Because
9: you were channeling. Me? I actually
1: believe that part of the nonchalance part of the forget the masks. Forget Come on. Let's come to the rally. Come on. Let's come together. We got to live. I think it was this herd immunity thing. I think that they were trying to get people sick. Now, Mm -hmm. I know all the fringe righties are gonna say that I'm accusing somebody of homicide or whatever. That's not what I mean. I'm saying that their policy at the end of the day was, it doesn't matter if people get sick, we'll work our way through it. That's what herd immunity is. And time matters more than the toll. Because if we get through it faster, the economy will recover sooner, life will be better sooner. So let them die if they die. It is what no, it is. You're not
9: wrong. There's, let them come for you because that's exactly. And I'm going to talk about it in just a couple moments. But it, hurt, here. it hurts me. The quote says, "We want them infected." So what does that mean? That means you're trying to get people sick. Explains why you would say something
1: that seemed irrational, which was "Don't worry about the mask." I gotta tell you, don't worry about the separation. It never made sense. It
9: does if you want people to get sick. Do you remember uh, we had this conversation not that long ago? And I said, you know, some some of my friends who are in red states, and and we were talking specifically about the virus, right? And I said, I just I can't talk to them. I had to get rid of them because they weren't making sense, right? One of my very dear friends started talking about herd immunity. And I kept telling him that's not how herd immunity works. Herd immunity works with a vaccine. You don't just send people out to get sick and die in droves. You can, but, but that's what happens. <laughs> people die in droves. Yeah, but. that's what happens. So I, 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 I'm with you. I don't, I don't really understand it, but I am going to pull a Chris Cuomo on this. And I'm going to be a, half, a glass half full. And I'm going to hope that we can come back to reality. I'm I don't I'm hopeful. Let's put it that way, that we can get people to actually start believing in science again, to believe in doctors and the scientists and to become honorable again. How does that sound to you?
1: Well, it sounds great because they're acting with no honor. That guy, that Senator Ron Johnson, I'll give you half my show to come on. And you make me a case that that hearing was worthwhile on the basis yep. of what it brought forward for people. I'll give you half the show, Senator, uh, because you're just going to smile your way through and say, I don't know what's wrong with it. You know, that was you, a you grievance know, hearing. You, you that, know what's wrong.
9: That was a, He wanted to, you know, just I, I can't believe you did this. Yeah. And he went angry. And it's yeah. like it's not even worth watching. I, I didn't even watch it. It's, it's ridiculous. You know what it was. Damelo. Give me it. Come on the show. I'd love yeah, to have the yeah. conversation. You know how we, we, we feel differently about that. You like to challenge them. I don't like to give them the, the airtime. I think you've like got to, to the expose platform. it because
1: if anybody's got a chance of being open, yeah. when you see the flagrancy, you know, even someone, a genius like Ted Cruz, I guarantee you they'll never talk about it again after the election. He's a liar and he knew it. No, you, he knew you said
9: genius, but yeah, Cruz. I mean, look,
1: the guy's got a crazy pedigree. Dershowitz says he's one of the smartest guys he ever taught at Harvard Law.
9: Oh, OK. I'm just saying anything. there's a thin line. That's the song goes between love. Yeah, and I hate, know but it There's is. a thin Thanks. line between so <laughs> and crazy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Chris. I shall see you soon. I remember. love you, D. Lemon. That More I know. More than you know. You More are. You, know. you are honorable. Hey, listen, I got to tell you, be careful out there. The weather's bad here in New York. We're in the middle of a nor'easter, so on your way home, wherever you're going, wherever you're about to do,
0: be safe. I'm going to go
9: push cars out of snowdrifts. Yeah, all right. Go help some folks.
0: We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night.